Um, all right. Well, it's Pentecost. Um, so if you uh, have a Bible, grab it. If you don't have a Bible, find one um, and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. And if you want to go ahead and, and work ahead, you can also go to Ezekiel 37 and mark it and Romans chapter 8 and mark that one. Um, so uh, go those places. Uh, that would be really great for us. By the way, this is a, a picture of uh, Pentecost. This is exactly what it looked like. Everybody had these perfectly straight lines in their faces. Um, no, this is a, an, an image uh, uh, of Pentecost. A uh, What do we call these? A mosaic uh, of Pentecost. As I get ready to go on sabbatical, I am made acutely aware, uh, aware of what a great privilege it, it is to get to preach uh, and to do that almost every week. Uh, it is not a burden for me, um, although I suspect some days it is a burden for all of you. I'm not entirely sure, um, or at least for some of you. Um, but I'm, I'm really happy that God uh, requires me in my work, in my vocation, to read scripture and to spend a lot of time thinking about it and contemplating it and being judged by it. Um, and it, it really is an honor. And while I'm gone, I, I hope all of you uh, will, e even more than you do already, dig into scripture more and more yourselves. Um, I love to hear how the scriptures echo each other from one part of the Bible to another. We've, you've heard this phrase, uh, and I, we can thank Amy Baumgartner for it several years ago. She used the phrase that the, the, uh, the scripture readings that we have often sing to each other. The Old Testament readings and the New Testament readings sing, or they echo uh, each other. That is, there is resonances from one part of scripture to the other part of scripture. And the day of Pentecost, which we are in today, is one of the best opportunities to hear those resonances. Uh, be to hear them uh, I, I lost place at what I was going to say lost my place hear them again um, I'm echoing myself uh, but uh, uh, so oftentimes the Old Testament reading for Pentecost not this year but oftentimes it is Genesis chapter 11 uh, and you guys probably know this this is the story uh, of Babel and on the it, it reads something like this on the plains of Shiner we find an ancient people building a city and they place a tower in the middle of the city and the tower would be a way for these people to become like God, to avoid the dangers that surrounded them and new technology allowed them to do this. Of course, it wasn't 5G. Uh, the technology was the brick. It's kind of weird to think of the brick as a form of technology, but that's exactly what it was. So we know the story, their arrogance gets the best of them and their language becomes confused. It's not just an origin story, the Tower of Babel. It's not just an origin story about the emergence of different languages. It is a story of human pride, of how humans thought they could reach God or be like God through technique and through technology. And they were wrong. And so are we. For their trouble, they ended up unable to understand each other, and the word Babel ended up entering into our own lexicon. But then in Acts chapter 2, we hear how the curse of Babel is reversed at Pentecost, as people from all over the planet are brought together, and they all hear what God is saying in their own language. 
And here's where the echo between these two stories really resounds deeply and more richly. Guess who are there listening to this sermon of Peter's in their own language? They're not called Babylonites. They're not called Babylonians. They're not called Shinerbox. Anyone, please? Who's the best? Good, thank you. Um, Shiner, anybody Shinerbox fan? It's the best beer, Czech beer in Texas. Okay. I'm leaving. Um, they're not called any of those things. The Bible calls them Mesopotamians. They are the people from where the Tower of Babel was. And we're supposed to feel those resonances. We're supposed to hear those echoes. We're supposed to hear how Scripture is speaking to Scripture. And we're going to do that in a little bit more detail uh, tonight as we think about the Pentecost story in a little bit more detail. So let me pray for us as we, as we continue. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, eternally existent in three persons, the Trinity. We see how we worship the Father and the Son. Already tonight we prayed the Lord's Prayer. We speak to Jesus when we pray, and we speak to Jesus in our songs and to God the Father. And then almost every week we hear the benediction from 2 Corinthians 13, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. We know God as Father, we know Jesus as his Son, and we know Jesus as our elder brother. And we know the Spirit kind of. The Spirit is not merely a power. The Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, one with God. And this is not just an affirmation that we make without real-life consequences. The Spirit is a daily reality for us, though we may not always be aware of how the Spirit operates. In Scripture, we read that the Spirit heals the Spirit testifies, the Spirit guides, the Spirit comforts, the Spirit confronts, the Spirit encourages, the Spirit advocates, the Spirit comes alongside us as believers. The Spirit does a lot of stuff. And for the next few minutes, I want us to think about how the Spirit gives life to us. We know that the Spirit gives life because the very word Spirit is synonymous with life. And that'll be made more clear in just a moment. And, and while we're at it, there's just a, here's a few life-giving events that the Spirit was really, really involved in. The birth of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, uh, Mary was made pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection of Jesus, which we're going to hear about here in just a couple of minutes. And the birth of the church, which we heard read about here in Acts chapter 2. The birth of the church is an act of the Spirit giving life to Christ's body. But let's go to the very beginning of everything, to Genesis chapter 1. The Spirit is there, hovering and involved in the act of creation. The Spirit, in the NRSV, it says it swept over the waters or hovered over the waters. The Spirit is right there like a bird 
like a mama bird hovering, brooding over her chicks at the beginnings of creation. God is like a bird. This is not the only place, by the way, that God gets that description. God is like a bird hovering over creation as it comes into existence. In keeping with the original language, the NRSV doesn't use the word spirit in Genesis 1. Instead, it says a wind from God swept over the waters. In both the Old Testament and the New, the spirit is referred to as wind or as breath, the breath of God. The Hebrew word is ruach. The uh, Greek word is pneuma. And each of these words, I hope, will bring to our minds the same breath that was breathed into Adam in Genesis chapter 2 while he was in the garden. I also think about the breath that Elijah breathed into a dead boy, the, the son of the Shunammite couple, and how he brought him back to life. And of course, we have the story of Jesus breathing on his disciples saying, receive the Spirit. In each of these events, the Spirit is what brings life. Genesis chapter 2 says, Then the Lord God formed the man, Adam, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The Spirit gives life to Adam. We see the Spirit giving life when Jesus is conceived by the Spirit. We see the Spirit giving life again in the resurrection of Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11 points to the closeness of God the Father and the Spirit at Christ's resurrection. It's a really fascinating passage. I think many of you uh, may be familiar with it. It says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through His Spirit that dwells in you. If the Spirit of Him who literally brought Jesus back to life from death, that same Spirit is going to give life to our mortal bodies. The notion that the Holy Spirit raises Jesus from the dead is more explicit in 1 Peter chapter 3, where we hear that he was made alive in the Spirit. And of course, it's important for us to remember that what God the Father does, the Spirit does as well, and the Son does as well. We don't separate them apart from their functions, but for tonight, we will just a little bit, and hopefully we won't give up our card of orthodoxy as we just think about it just for a few moments. But we recognize that the Spirit is, o the, excuse me, the Trinity is always in work together. When we get one, we get all of them. Now, <clears throat> this discussion of the Spirit leads me to, I think, a, a wonderful story is our uh, alternate reading for this week from Ezekiel chapter 37. And I know that we spend lots of time in the book of Ezekiel. We never go to the book of Ezekiel. Um, it's, it's about time. But in Ezekiel chapter 37, we have the story of the dry bones. So if you, if you want to turn there, uh, I encourage you to do so. As a matter of fact, I think I found out about this story the first time, not because I was reading the Bible, but because I was listening to music. I think that's how I found out that there was this story of Ezekiel and the dry, and the dry bones. In this story, the prophet Ezekiel has a vision where he sees a valley that's just filled with the dead bones of humans, just skeletons all over the place. And the angel that led Ezekiel in his vision asks Ezekiel if the bones can live. And Ezekiel prophesies, he begins to prophesy, and the bones start to reassemble. They start to come back together. 
and the flesh and the muscle and the sinews start to attach themselves to the bones. At this point, I think it's good for us to thank God for CGI, because I don't think we could think of it any other way, you know? Could we even imagine that without uh, Spielberg and those guys? Um, also, are any of you familiar with the poet James Weldon Johnson from uh, uh, an African-American poet from the early part of the 20th century? He has a whole song that he composed about the bones uh, in the Valley of Dry Bones. And it ends up getting used and turned into that song, Dim Bones, Dim Bones. Anybody? Uh, it's a horrible example. But it started, that song begins with the story in the Bible. Um, we think it's just a silly song, but it's a, a great uh, early spiritual that uh, James Weldon Johnson wrote. That's, that was free. It wasn't in my notes. Just something for you guys to remember me by. So... He also has a great poem called God's Trombones. Anybody play the trombone? Trombone people? Not, there's not one trombone person in here? I played the trombone. Uh, does Modu, that's, well, that's Modu, I understand that. Because trombone people, I always have horrible jokes about them, but uh, they, everything's an estimate, right? Keep going. Um, I'm gonna get out all of the horrible jokes so I don't have to store them up while I'm gone. As the bones turn back into, body, into the bodies, what, is, what does the angel tell Ezekiel? He says this, Prophesy to the breath, breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. And as I read that passage and envision this event, this, this vision that Ezekiel's experiencing, once again, I hear the passage from Genesis 2, when it says that God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. It's an echo. We're really not supposed to read Ezekiel without hearing Genesis chapter 2. When we see the work of the Spirit in this way, I really believe that God wants us to start making connections and hearing how all of these things align with each other. And it causes us to have deeper and richer scriptural imaginations. And in that, we are listening to the spirit. So the breath came into them. Adam first and then Ezekiel's dead bones and now the breath comes into us. The breath of the spirit or rather the breath that is the spirit gave birth to the church on Pentecost. Gave birth to us even though we come along a lot later. The Holy Spirit gives birth to us, the church. And as we are baptized in the name of Jesus, we also receive the gift of the Spirit. He is the Spirit of life, the Spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead and the one who will raise us from the dead. The one who gave life to Adam will give life to all of us now and in the resurrection, just as in the vision of Ezekiel's valley. The bones that became bodies again were incomplete until the breath was brought into them, until the Spirit entered them.
And the same is true for us. We are dead. We're dead without God's Spirit. Romans 8 tells us, But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit, the breath, is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through His Spirit that dwells in you. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through His breath that dwells in you. Life comes back into us through the gift of the Spirit. Peter, in his speech on Pentecost, said this. This is in Acts chapter 2, down in verse 37. He says, you know, so he preaches this powerful sermon, and everybody is just, uh, they, are, uh, they are moved. They are overwhelmed with their sense of guilt and their sense of wrongdoing, especially towards the Christ. And they basically, when, and it says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's a whole other line of echo and resonances. The Spirit is gift. We don't even have time for that. So just work on that on your own. Um, our baptisms mark our reception of the Holy Spirit. This is more important than simply relying upon our experiences, an experience that we had or thought that we had, but maybe we're no longer sure. Just as God breathed life into Adam at his birth, so God breathes life, his very spirit, into us at our rebirth. And it's not some magic power. And this is a critical thing for us to keep in mind. The Holy Spirit is not, and the, and the power that comes from the Holy Spirit, is not some weird thing that we get like a superhero, right? It is relationship with God. That's what the Spirit is. Jesus didn't heal people because he got hit on the head one day and suddenly woke up with all these crazy powers. Jesus healed because of relationship with God the Father. He healed through that. So as we reflect upon the power of the Spirit working in and through us, we always have to remember that the Spirit is personal. And this is about relationship. St. Augustine describes the Holy Spirit as the relationship that exists between God the Father and God the Son. There's God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit is what creates the relationship between them or sustains that relationship between them. I don't think Augustine says enough about that, but I think to a certain extent he's correct because the Spirit of God is that which creates, sustains, and expands community. Which brings me back to Acts chapter 2. I think it was Buffy who read for us from Acts chapter 2. She finished at, at, uh, at a point uh, where uh, everybody started hearing uh, the sermon in their own language. I'm going to pick up there in verse 6. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one of them heard speaking 
in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all of those who are speaking Galileans? And, and by the way, that is an insult to people from Galilee. It's basically, these people are so backwards, they can barely speak, their, speak one language, much less any others. So how is it that, in, in verse 8, how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. One of the funnest little passages of scripture, because then Peter goes, rises up with the 11, raises his voice and said, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. Come back at noon and they will be lit like candles. So, I don't, I don't think that's the case. Who knows? Um, it also shows the Spirit's sense of humor, I think. But here we see life being created between people. 16 different ethnic groups and two different religious groups are all named. The capacity for a Babel-like division is enormous. And out of this list of ethnicities, we can see countless examples of how brother fought against brother fought against brother. Not to mention Jews and non-Jews, the proselytes. There's enormous potential for division. But healing is coming for all these divisions. In fact, healing has come in the person of the Spirit and through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we recognize this by the listener's collective ability to hear what Peter, that Galilean hayseed, is saying. They get the message from him. The unity in the body of Christ is created by God's Spirit and sustained by God's Spirit. This was true in the first century, and it's equally true today. Please, please grasp a hold of this. We don't create the unity in the body of Christ. The unity exists. It's really up to us to cooperate with it. Because it's the Holy Spirit who creates this sense of unity. And it reminds me of what uh, Bonhoeffer says in Life Together when he talks about how we no longer relate to, Christians no longer relate to one another on any kind of earthly level. It's no longer just you know, me and Heath, we're just buddies. No, it's now it's Heath, the Holy Spirit, and me. And it's Kelly and the Holy Spirit and me. And it's Mike and the Holy Spirit and Tim, and so on and so forth. That is how unity is created within the body of Christ. And this is what we see illustrated in a really dramatic way in Acts chapter 2. We can work against unity. We can choose not to participate in it. But it exists. Even if we don't see it, it exists. And God has invited us into it. From this desperate community of people, or this desperate group of people, a community was formed that we call the church. The life of the church is created by the Holy Spirit, sustained by the Spirit, and renewed by the Spirit. And here's another fun little echo I'll just mention 
and, and I realize I may have lost you by now because I kind of wrote this for me. Um, but here's, uh, when I think about Ezekiel 37, um, the Valley of the Dry Bones, where does this vision take place? It takes place near where the Tower of Babel was. Just another little loop of how scripture sings to itself. And, and it's, oh, it's so great. So I want to finish with thinking about creation again, where we started. But instead of going to Genesis chapter 2, I want us to go to Romans 8. And this was our uh, New Testament reading for this week. Romans 8, 22 through verse 27. I love this phrase. He starts off, We know that the whole creation has been groaning and labor pains until now. You know, we may not know exactly what he means, but I have a feeling that most of us, when we hear that passage, can just go, yeah, I get it. I don't know exactly what he means, but I get it. It feels like the world is growing. Not just the humans on the planet, but like the planet itself. I mean, I think of the giant island of plastic up in the North Pacific, and the earth has just got to be going, gosh, come on. I'm ready for the redemption of God. So we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. Creation itself, the earth, the air, the water, the stars, all know that something is wrong. Something is incomplete. Something is yet to come. And then in verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for, we, for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I think this is a good place for us to kind of draw it to an end. I've said it over and over again in the last few minutes that the Spirit gives us life. And the life that the Spirit gives us allows us and empowers us to pray. Not only that, but through the Spirit, as we're going to hear in just a second, we're able to pray even without words. And sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we just don't have anything good to say to God. We just, we just can't even make speech before Him. But it does not mean that prayer is not happening. The Spirit of God breathes life into us and drags us to the place of prayer. And in those moments when when we've got nothing, God intercedes for us. The Spirit intercedes. In verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs, that are too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Sighs or groans too deep for words. The spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we ought to. So my question for us as as we wrap up is just this. I want you to think how knowing that the Spirit of God, the breath of life, 
how knowing that the Spirit resides within us, how that might influence our times of prayer. How might God's Spirit inspire you to pray even when you can't pray? How might God's Spirit inspire you to pray even when you cannot pray? See, I'm not, I don't want to throw you back on yourself when you're struggling. I love that phrase. Chris Kettler says that a lot, but, and, 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 I, and I hope we won't do this to one another. That is, whenever we're struggling or hurting or, or, or doubting or whatever it might be, the temptation is to be like, oh, you need to, you know, just shut up and get your stuff together and go pray about it or whatever. Um, let's not throw ourselves back on ourselves. Let's remind ourselves that prayer is happening, even if we're not the ones doing it. So how might God's Spirit inspire you to pray even when you can't pray? I want you to know that through God's Holy Spirit, Christ is always praying for us. And he's basically saying, come and, come and kneel with me as I pray. And this is one of the beautiful things about praying the hours, praying morning prayer. There's a lot of times we'll come together to pray and we just may not have it in us. But we're participating in the prayer that's going on between Father, Son, and Spirit. So when we feel dead inside or when our prayers feel empty and lifeless, God's Spirit is praying within us, through us, and regardless of our feelings, as we are brought into the presence of God. Let me pray for us. Lord, I ask that each of us would recognize and experience once again the reality of prayer through your Holy Spirit. Lord, give us the confidence that we need to know that even when we don't know what to say or when we're just so sideways with you that we just can hardly stand it, that your Spirit is at work and that your Son is praying on our behalf. We offer this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.